You're about to see your local bar packed at some pretty weird times. That's right, the Women's World Cup kicks off later this week in Australia and New Zealand, so get ready for some late night slash early morning soccer. But there's a lot at stake here, especially for Team USA. They're gunning for their third straight championship. That's never been done before. It'll also be the last chance to see Megan Rapino in the red, white, and blue. The star forward says she's retiring at the end of the season. I hope nobody thinks what I did on the field is more important than what I did off it. I don't think it even really comes close. So being able to And hanging over all of this is the ongoing fight for equal pay in the women's game. Experts say yes, progress has been made since the last World Cup four years ago. But is it enough? My guest this week is CNN international sports anchor Amanda Davis. We're going to talk about new equality measures from FIFA, how players are reacting, and which teams have the best chance to upset the U.S. From CNN, this is One Thing. I'm David Ryan. Amanda, hello. Hello. Great to speak to you. I do want to admit right off the bat that I'm not very much of a soccer head, but I do get pumped up every time this tournament comes around. And I know you are very much a football fan and the host of CNN's World Sports, so I'm going to be leaning on you pretty hard here for the uh, specifics here. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm ready for the challenge. <laughs> okay, good. So I want to start big picture. The focus of the Men's World Cup in Qatar last year was really on how much backlash and bad headlines that FIFA was willing to stomach for the sake of global business, global attention. You know, we heard the term sports washing a lot. This year, the Women's World Cup is taking place in Australia and New Zealand. So that's very different location, very different political climate, right? Does that mean all of those concerns off the field have gone away? The Women's World Cup, this is without doubt the biggest and best there has been up to this point at a really, really exciting time for women's sport. I was fortunate enough to host the draw for the World Cup in France in in 2019. And there was a feeling then that that was going to be a milestone moment. And then I stood on stage in Auckland alongside the legend that is Carly Lloyd in October, hosting the draw again for this one. Dear guests and all of our viewers watching around the world, it is the moment you've been waiting for. It's now time. And you could really sense the excitement and the enthusiasm from everybody. The United States of America have won the last two editions of the FIFA Women's World Cup and are the most successful team in the history of the tournament with four titles. <laughs> Your smile really does get bigger every time you say that. Uh, group e- We're talking about this already as a, a tournament with the biggest number of teams from Africa that have ever taken part in a, in a Women's World Cup before. There's going to be record attendance numbers. It's going to be different. It's going to be cold and it's going to be wet, which I think a lot of people aren't necessarily expecting. It's not going to be the the bright sunshine that we've seen, you know, in the Women's World Cup in in the United States or that heat wave. In, and because it's winter in Australia. It is winter. There is even a suggestion in New Zealand there might be some snow. <laughs> I'm a little bit worried about my excess baggage, I have to say. <laughs> I'm not sure I've got enough coats, but I'm, I'm trying. Um, but, you know, for all the positives, for all the talent, for all the momentum behind the women's game, there have been criticisms. The TV deals have been done really late, particularly here in Europe. 
This year, we will have more than 2 billion people watching this event. It is a valuable commercial product, and we need to ensure that we hold it as a valuable commercial product. Some of the broadcasters have been accused of not bidding a fair amount for the women's game, what it's worth. A pittance is actually the the word that was used Hmm. um, by somebody to me for rights compared to the Men's World Cup. One percent of the amount of money bid for the um, men's tournament was bid by certain broadcasters for the for the women's tournament. Wow. That's led to perhaps less time to to find sponsors, to produce marketing campaigns. I think it's bizarre that FIFA has looked to have a Visit Saudi sponsorship for uh, the Women's World Cup when I, myself, Alex Morgan, would not even be supported and accepted in that country. So uh, I I just don't understand it. Um, There was that dalliance from FIFA uh, to try and get Visit Saudi as Mm. one of the sponsors, but actually the voice of the women's football community very much put paid to that. There was such a backlash from from players and organisations from the, the host countries alike that that ultimately hasn't happened. Well, I wanted to ask about kind of the disparities between the men's game and the women's game, because it's just been an ongoing year after year fight for the women, especially here in the U.S. with the women's national team to have some semblance of equality when it comes to money, when it comes to facilities and infrastructure and the media deals like like you say, where does that fight stand on a global stage <laughs> the fight goes on <laughs> i think is is where we put it in uh, in in summary you know, there's no doubt massive massive progress has been made but everybody you speak to says there's still a very very long way to go i was mm. speaking to the sweden and um ac milan midfielder kosovaro aslani she said to me she doesn't know what it's like just to be able to focus on football what's your assessment of of where we are in the fight for equality uh, in the women's game compared to, to where we need to be? I think that we're, we're taking steps all the time. I mean, uh, we need to keep keep on pushing because uh, you're reading the numbers and uh, we're still far behind. But she is not alone in that. Every women's footballer you speak to has had a fight of some description to get to where they have got to. And they're very aware of the fight that that still goes on. We need to increase our medical teams around every team because now when we we're trying to get more similar to the men's when it comes to schedule more games, the higher the risk will be for injuries, and that's when we there's need- been a massive line in the sand drawn with this World Cup. We've had that announcement of increased prize money by FIFA. The numbers are big. You know, they say a 300% increase from from 2019, ten times more than in 2015. Wow. But there's still a very long way to go to to equalise it with the men's World Cup. But there's, there's interesting strands to the debate. For example, if you give all the money to the team that wins the competition, so for, for example, the USA, a country that does have one of the most developed football soccer programs in the women's game, 
are you therefore taking away from all the nations who are still fighting to get any girls involved with the game? Like that money could be used to build up these programs and then eventually get to a more level playing field across all the teams. Yeah, exactly. It's really nuanced. And you've still got countries in the world where people don't believe women should be playing football. Hmm. And there is a small numbers, pockets of people who are fighting just to get their first teams off the ground. So there's been this landmark ruling that's going to be in place at this World Cup. And that means that for the first time, every single player who's taking part in this tournament will receive a payment of $30,000. That is just for being there at the tournament. Just for stepping on the field, 30000 I don't think they even have to step in the field. They have to be part of their national squad. And FIFA are giving that money directly to the players. And in years gone by... FIFA has given a lump sum to the national associations and it's been up to the national associations to decide who gets that money and where that money goes to. So a lot of the players, it hasn't even necessarily stayed in the women's game. Um, So for some of these players, this will be a life-changing sum of money. There was a piece of research that was just done that looked at the qualifying conditions so that all the teams around the world had been playing under. 66% of players who took part in World Cup qualifying had to take a vacation or unpaid leave from another job just to be able to represent their country. What? 29% of players didn't receive any form of payment from their national teams at all. Oh my goodness. So the fact that every player going to this tournament is going to get this sum of money is huge. And it's not just the money, they also get equal resources. So they will travel the same class of travel on flights that the men's teams do. They're allowed to have a room on their own. They don't have to share <laughs> um, rooms, which in, you know, in the past, some countries like Jamaica had to crowdfund, didn't they, for, to be there in 2019. They relied on Sadella Marley, um, Bob Marley's daughter, to fund a lot of their participation in France. This time there is that base level. Um, you know, there's still disparities and, and teams still need a lot more support. Sure. Um, but it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Okay, so let's talk about the actual soccer here, Amanda. Which players should I be looking out for and which teams actually have the best shot of winning this thing? Do I start on the negative? I shouldn't, but I will. Um, (laughs) There's a lot of really big names who, you know, had we had this conversation 12 months ago, the likes of the England captain, Leah Williamson and Beth Mead, who scored uh, more goals than any other player at the European Championships, I'd have been telling you they were ones to watch. Vivian Miedemar from the Netherlands, uh, they are all out with Mm. knee injuries, ACLs, and there's a really sad number of players who will be missing. But there is so much that still... um, should be looked forward to. The US are the favourites there, everybody's favourites, and they should be, given their history, their pedigree. They've won the World Cup more than any other women's team. They're looking for that incredible three-peat. They've got so many superstars. I didn't want to be the resident American to say, hey, isn't this America's to lose? But you said, you you brought the, the facts, so I'm just going off what you're saying. Hey, I I mean, I can give you the but. <laughs> sure, give me the but. I'm here for it. I'm, I'm more than happy to give you the but. No, I mean, I was talking to Carly uh, Lloyd as I was doing the, the draw, and there's no doubt this team has not been as dominant 
as they've been in the build-up mm. to previous World Cups. It's the first World Cup in a long time. It's not Jill Ellis in charge. It's Vlatko Andonowski. But I have to say 2023 has been very good to them. They have got some momentum behind them. And as well as those superstar names that, you know, people who need no introduction, the likes of Megan Rapinoe and, and Alex Morgan, there's such a pool of exciting young talent that you know, the last two um, top draft picks in the NWSL, Alyssa Thompson, Naomi Gearmer as well, um, Dennis Rodman's daughter, Trinity. There's oh, wow. a real mix of kind of youth and, and experience in, in the US squad. But it will be interesting to see because there are people who feel they've caught up mm. and you know, there's a lot of the European teams who have a supremely talented squad a lot of them have had their issues you know Spain have arguably one of the most talented um, squads in the world game I couldn't come on here and not wave the flag for England could I yeah, <laughs> wave it. I have to do that and they have a real momentum behind them what difference have you noticed amongst your team amongst the players after that European Championship success? I think the world changed after the, um, after the final. I think here in the UK, everyone's ready to take the next step. So really, we chose. And Serena Wiegmann, the coach, is changing the game for women's football coaches. She was in charge of the Netherlands when they finished runners-up four years ago. And the way she has taken the England team to a next level, they've only lost one game in 32 since she took over. Oh, wow. But they've got injuries as well so i think there are many many contenders and i think uh, we are one of them and we'll see what happens if we take it game by game so you know we had the surprise teams at the men's world cup didn't we with the likes of morocco saudi arabia with that that big win over argentina there is a big african contingent um that will be taking part for the first time there's four teams rather than three but um, I think the feeling is that you know it's, it's a huge moment for Morocco's women to be there. But it would be quite something. <laughs> it would be quite something for them to replicate what the men did in Qatar. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Well, it's a great preview, and if you want to watch along, Team USA's first game against Vietnam will be on Friday night. England takes on Haiti on Saturday. Amanda, stay warm down under. I guess. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. It's been great to speak to you. <laughs> One Thing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Aaron Mathewson, Paolo Ortiz, and me, David Rind. Matt Dempsey is our production manager. Fez Jamil is our senior producer. Greg Peppers is our supervising producer. And Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. If you like the show, you can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can tell me directly. I'm on Twitter. I'm on threads now. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Sunday. Talk to you then.